Who here over the last 18 years has, you know, been blessed through the, the worldwide ministry that God has worked through with Soul Survivor over the last 18 years? And there are people here who were here 18 years ago, Mike, and uh, yeah, so I guess this is our last chance before your uh, final year with the festivals for us to say thank you. Oh. Yeah, and, and pleased with the team and the family back home to say thank you. And for us to say a quick prayer. Would that be all right, everyone? Say a prayer. Okay. Father, thank you for all that you've done and all that you are doing. And particularly, we want to lift up Mike and the family back at Soul Survivor England. Lord, bless them in every way as they prepare for next year and beyond. Lord, bless uh, all of Mike's family and his friends with all the things that are going on. And Lord, bless Mike here tonight to help us hear you and follow your word by your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, I'll probably start here and then I might move around a bit. Is that all right? <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, it's great to be here. It actually feels really weird because as I look around, I see all these faces, from, like you said, from 18 years ago. And it's like my past is catching up with me. And, I mean, there's a few of you who are here. I, I thought you died. You know, it's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> You're still alive. And, um, yeah, that's, um, so it's, it's great. Um, it's great to see Jeff. Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist. Um, one of the things that I've been longing for, and I'm sure many of us have, is... Uh, to see what we read in the book happening today in our lives. And not to see a little bit of it, but to see people being set free, to see people's lives being transformed, uh, to see uh, God's power expressed uh, in his love, uh, to make a difference in people's lives. And, uh, and I think that there's one key thing an ingredient that is absolutely necessary if we are to see that. And we don't talk about it very much. And also, I don't know about you, but I've known Jesus, I've tried to follow him for 44 years now. And I still long for a greater intimacy with God, a greater sense of his presence. I long, I long for that closeness. And I think both of those things are tied up with one thing that the Lord asks of us. And in order to try and talk about what that is, I want to go to Jesus' first miracle. And uh, I love it that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine by the liter because they'd run out at someone's party. And, you know, for ages I've thought, what a weird first miracle. Jesus, didn't you have a public relations consultant? If I was your consultant, I would have said, if you, you don't make a second, you have a second chance to make a first impression, uh, uh, you know, if I was you, I'd raise someone from the dead. That makes a statement. Or maybe feed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic. You can get a whole sermon series out of that. But it, it, it seems like, you know, he was a guest at someone's party. And at first glance, you, it seems like he only did it because his mum had a go at him. It's really strange. Just listen to this. John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, 
and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, isn't that typical of a mum? Isn't that exactly what they do? They don't tell you what they want, do they? You know, they, 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 they don't say, can you bring the shopping in from the car? They say, oh, there's a lot of shopping in the car. <laughs> they don't say, can you load the dishwasher? They say, the dishwasher needs loading again. Well, Jesus' mum was no different. They've run out of wine. And Jesus responded like any normal teenager would, what's that got to do with me? <laughs> in fact, what he says is, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. He actually said, woman. And you know what? In some of the translations, some of the translators, they, they actually put dear woman because they didn't want it to seem that Jesus was being rude to his mum. But in the original Greek, there's no dear. It really is just woman. And then the next bit, my hour has not yet come. Do you know, when I first became a Christian, just before my 16th birthday, and I saw that, I thought, that's a really good line. I thought, I'm going to try that one. So the next time my mum said to me, Michael, I want you to tidy your room, I looked her in the eye, and I said, Mum, my hour has not yet come. It didn't happen for me. <laughs> It was not happy. Listen to this. When he said that, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And that's the title of tonight's talk. Do whatever he tells you. Listen to Mary when she says, do whatever he tells you. Now, I've translated for years. I've translated, do whatever he tells you as do whatever he tells you when what he tells you makes sense, when you agree with what he tells you, when what he tells you isn't too risky. Do whatever he tells you when you feel safe in that. That's not obedience. That's happening to agree with Jesus. Obedience is doing what he tells you when it doesn't feel safe, it doesn't feel right, you don't understand it, and you don't know why. And you know, as soon as Mary said that, the servants had an opportunity to do that. Because the next thing that happens is Jesus says to the servants, you see these big stone jars, fill them with water. Now, if I was one of the servants, at that point, I would have probably gone up to Jesus and said, excuse me, Mr. Christ, but I was listening to what your mum said to you, and she said, we've run out of wine. What we have is not a water shortage, but a wine deficit. We don't need any more. We don't need any more San Pellegrino. What we want is Chateau Neuf de Pape. And if I had said that to Jesus, I think he would have said to me, "Excuse me, Pilavachi, but you weren't listening to what my mum said to you. She said, "Do whatever I tell you." And so they did. And they didn't understand. Why are we filling these things with water? The problem is we've run out of wine. And then it gets worse. Jesus says, now I want one of you servants to, to get a, cu a cup, fill, get, get the dirty water and take it to the master of ceremonies. But he's going to think it's wine. It's dirty water. Do it. 
And I think, I think they were thinking, should we do it? And then they saw Mary looking at them from the corner. And I think she was a scary mama. And, and, and so one of them, can you imagine? Who's going to do it? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You're the youngest. You do it. And then as one of them takes, he's trembling. He's a slave. He takes this cup of dirty water to the master of ceremonies. And the others, they're hiding behind the table. <coughs> they're looking out. This is terrible. This is going to be a disaster. This is going to be an explosion. And then he gives it. And then the master of ceremonies, he drinks. And he says, stop. And they're all ducking. And, and, and the servant who's given that, he, he's wetting himself. And then the master of ceremonies says to the bridegroom, oh my goodness, you have left the Chateau Neuf de Pape to the end. This is the best. And then they're all drinking dirty water and they're going... Yes, undertones of blackberry and, and, and what is it they say? Licorice, licorice. And, and oh, yeah. And the servants are like, but it's dirty water. It's dirty water. We know it's dirty water. What they're, and they're all, what's going on? It's dirty water. And, and, and they, they don't get it. And, and, and do you know there's this, there's this one little line in the story? And it just says, but the servants knew. The servants knew. They were the only ones who knew. And don't you sometimes wish the book was a DVD? I loads of times I've wished the book was a DVD. And do you know what? I just know in my spirit. I know it doesn't say it, but don't you just know that as the servants were going, this is this this is crazy. This is this is dirty water, and they all think it's great wine. Don't you just know that Jesus looks over at them and goes, don't you just know? He just gives them a little wink. And they're like, do you see what happened? They were in on it with Jesus. At the place of obedience, they had intimacy with the Lord. They were in on the secret. And at the place of obedience, a miracle happened. A miracle happened. And that's how it works. And um, I want to just look at one more story. And then I'll just tell a couple of other things and then we'll pray. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 14, I love this story. Uh, Jesus has just um, uh, fed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic. And then we read in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've read this story of Jesus walking on the water. I don't hundreds of times in my Christian life. And you know, until a couple of years ago, there's things I didn't see. I've read it so many times. Here's the first one. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He made the disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. And, and in the original Greek, it wasn't a mild suggestion. It was strong. So it happened something like this. Hey, boys, uh, I want you to get into the boat, and I want you to row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee overnight. And uh, uh, in the morning, I'll come over. Um, I've got a few things to finish off here, and I'll join you. Um, how are you going to get over, boss? Uh, I, don't worry, I've got my own transport. Um, 
uh, excuse me, Jesus, but the boys and I, we've been on the internet and the weather forecast is terrible for Sea of Galilee overnight. And as you know, some of us are fishermen and some of us fishermen, we know how bad it can be. And at nighttime, we're not going to be able to see with the waves. So if it's all the same with you, uh, we'll wait and we'll go over with you in the morning. Get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. Sometimes Jesus deliberately sends us into storms. Why does he do that? Does he do that because he hates us? No, it's because he knows that it's usually in the middle of the storms of life that we find him at the deepest level. It's usually in the storms that we that we we find the greatest intimacy with him. Where are you, Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. Through the valley of the shadow of death, he leads us. And it's in that place that we see the greatest miracles. Because miracles come not to entertain us, but at our point of need. And so they get in the boat and they're rowing. And sure enough, the wind comes up and it's scary and there's lots of waves. And, um, and they're scared. And listen to this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Do you have any idea? Have you noticed how many times the disciples don't recognize Jesus when he comes to them? It's incredible. I mean, after the resurrection, it's constant. And they didn't recognize him after the resurrection because they were filled with disappointment. When we're filled with disappointment, we don't recognize Jesus when he comes to us. But at this point, it's because they were filled with fear. Fear also stops us recognizing Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. So what does he do? He speaks to them. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Three phrases. And the two on, uh, at the end, take courage and don't be afraid, both of those, they're, they're similar, they say similar things. And they're the two pieces of bread in the sandwich. But the peanut butter and jam is the one in the middle. It is I. It, that's why we can take courage and not be afraid when we know it's him. Now, I just need to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm not a theologian. I've never studied theology. I'm, I'm just a very, very old youth worker. And... Uh, I haven't done that, and I've never done New Testament Greek. I wouldn't know New Testament Greek if it hit me in the face. But I am Greek. <laughs> and as a Greek, I know that phrase, it is I. In Greek, in the Greek, it's ero ime. And ero ime is um, ero, which is where we get ego from. And um, ero is kind of, the way, the nearest translation is, Ewa um, is, it's me. And ime is, it's me. So if you want it to be accurate, Jesus says, take courage. It's me, it's me. Don't be afraid. Now, of course, they didn't put that in the Bible, the translation, because people won't understand it. It's not bad English grammar. But did you know that that phrase, ewa ime, do you know in John's Gospel, this is a bit extra for free, really quickly. In John's Gospel, there are seven signs that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. 
seven signs, seven, and the wedding feast at Cana, the miracle there is the first one. There are seven I am sayings that Jesus says. Uh, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, I am the good shepherd. Um, uh, I am uh, the vine. Um, I am the gate for the sheep. And what's the seventh? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There we go. We got there. So there's seven. But also, there are seven times in John's gospel where that phrase, ero ime, is there, and it's translated in different ways. And, and one of the times is when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and she says, when the Messiah comes, he'll show us where to worship. And he says, and in the English translation, it's clumsy, because they didn't know how to translate it. And he says, I, the one who am talking to you, I am he. And the reason it's clumsy is because it's ero ime, which is, it's me, it's me. So they make a big deal. So that's hidden there. And do you know my favorite one? is the seventh one in John's gospel, the last one, which is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come to arrest him. And, and Jesus, do you remember? Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And then Jesus says, I am he. And they all fall down and collapse and pass out. And can you imagine Jesus? Oh, dear. Oh, they've all passed out. Oh, poor chaps. Guys, let's help them up. Come on, come on, little soldiers. It's all right. Up you get. Are you okay now? Now stand still. Let, let's do this again. All right? Go on. Go on. I'm going to ask you, who are you looking for? Now hold on to each other. Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Okay, get ready. Steady, steady. I am he. Ero ime. Do you know, that's the phrase in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, that when Moses met God at the burning bush, and he says, what's your name? And the Lord says, I am who I am. Ero ime. That's why we can take courage and not be afraid, because the great I am is there right with us. The great I am. And then I love the next bit. I love the next bit. This is so much fun. Um, <laughs> Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, do you know, I think there are some similarities between my humble self and the Apostle Peter. Now, don't worry. I don't think I'm rocky. I don't think the church is built on me. Uh, but in this instance and in this instance alone, I think we both open our mouths before our brains are in gear. And Pete did this all the time. And just, just imagine how this worked. You know, they're all afraid. It's a ghost. Ah! And then Jesus says, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And then Pete gets excited. It's Jesus. It's not ghost. And before he can stop himself, he says, ah, if it's you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. What have I just said? And then before he can say, only joking. Jesus says, come on then. And can you imagine the other disciples? Off you go, Pete. Mr. Big Mouth, you've done it. You said it, you do it. And he gets out the boat and he walks on the water. Listen to this. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, do you know, for years, I have thought of that story as Peter's great failure. I've even preached about it as Pete's great failure. I don't think that anymore. I think it was his great success. Now, now, do you know how I've seen it for years? I've seen it. Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He sees the big waves. He gets frightened. He starts to sink, and he's drowning. And as he's drowning, he's saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus looks at Pete drowning, and he thinks, oh, no. Pete's drowning. What shall I do? I need him for the Acts of the Apostles. So Jesus dives into the water and does the front crawl to Pete. He gets behind him. He uses a life-saving technique. He learned at Nazareth swimming pool when he was a teenager. He shouts to the, the disciples in the boat, get the rubber ring, throw the ropes, help me save Pete's life. I need him for the Acts of the Apostles. And they drag Pete onto the boat. And Pete's like, oh. And Jesus gets into the boat and he's soaking wet. He gets on top of Peter. He kneels on his chest and he gives him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And as Jesus is coming back to life, Jesus, as Peter is coming back to life, <laughs> sorry, I got confused with the resurrection. Um, as, as Peter is coming back to life, Jesus has his knee on Pete's chest and he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Where did I get that from? For years, I've read it like that. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. Now, it's true. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. But here's the first thing. Immediately, Peter says, Lord, save me. Now, if it was me, I would have immediately tried to save myself. If that didn't work, I would have tried to get my friends to save me. If that didn't work, I would have called the Coast Guard. And as a last resort, I would have asked Jesus to save me. Pete asks him first, straight away, Lord, save me. And Jesus doesn't dive into the water after Peter. It says he reached out his hand and caught him. Do you get what actually happened? Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of Peter, and lifted him up. And Jesus and Peter walked back to the boat on the water together, holding hands. I don't think this was Pete's great failure. It was his great success. It was his moment. I think he lived off this for the rest of his life. For years to come at church planting parties or cocktail parties if you're an Anglican. You know, they, someone would ask him, oh, Peter, tell us about the time you and Jesus walked on the water together. And I, I just know Peter would have been, oh, not again. Oh, I've told this story so many times. Oh, can I be bothered to, oh, okay, I'll tell it one more time. Gather around, everyone. Gather around. I'm going to tell you my walking on the water with Jesus story. <clears throat> well, what can I say? 
I mean, we were in the boat. It was a pretty bad storm. It was a, the boys were really terrified. I mean, I was fairly peaceful, but the boys were... Ter- and then Jesus came to us walking on the water, and every, they all thought he was a ghost, bless them. But I thought, I recognize him. And, and I said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And he said, come on then. And I got out of the boat. And, uh, the next bit's a little bit hazy. I can't quite remember the details. But basically, to cut a long story short, Jesus and I, we were walking in the storm on the Sea of Galilee through the waves, holding hands. Did I mention that? We were holding hands, the Lord Jesus and I. And, and what was it like? What was it like walking on the water? Well, I know the only two people who have ever done it are myself and Jesus. And, and Jesus has gone up to heaven now. So I suppose I'm the only one left on earth who can describe. I mean, it was, it was liquidy, but it was kind of solid and a little bit bouncy, like, like walking on springs. It was, it was quite something. And, and we were just walking back to the boat together. Yeah, oh yes, it was really stormy. I mean, it was amazing, but we didn't mind. It was quite refreshing, really. And we were, did I mention we were holding hands? Did I mention that? And, and do you know, to this day, I can't be absolutely certain whether he was holding me up or I was holding him up. I mean, we were just doing it together. Do you know how I know that he said that? Because I would have said that if it was me. I would have said that. And then I bet Pete said, uh, Andrew, James, John, is there anything you want to add to the story? Oh, no, sorry, I forgot. You never got out of the boat, did you? I was the only one who walked on the water with Jesus. He was the one that flipping did it. Was he scared? Yes. Did he sink? Yes. But that's the point. It's always scary. You always feel like you're drowning. But he, you can hold his hand. He lifts you up. When Jesus said, come, it didn't make sense. But he obeyed. And in that place of obedience, he had his most intimate moment with the Lord Jesus Christ and the greatest miracle. Now, one last bit on this. You know what? If Jesus was walking with Peter, holding hands through the storm, do you think while he was holding Peter's hand, do you think it's likely that Jesus said, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Have you noticed how we always give God an angry voice? I don't think he said it like that. It wouldn't make sense. He was holding Peter's hand. I think it was more like this. Oh, Pete, why did you doubt me? Did you really think I was going to let you drown? Oh, Pete, trust me next time, you silly sausage. You twit. I mean, I wasn't going to let you drown. I want you for the Acts of the Apostles. (laughs) I think it was more in that tone. It's amazing how we always give God an angry voice. You see, God, at the place of our obedience comes the greatest intimacy and comes the miracle. And usually it's in the middle of the storm. It feels like a storm. I think you've got read the book here, but in England for years, you you know there's a book that's been doing the rounds for Christians, the the five love languages. You read that, haven't you? Everyone's read it. And they've got, I mean, it's a scam. It's the five love languages, and now they do the five love languages for married people, for engaged people, pretty soon for left-handed people, for blue-eyed people. 
And, and basically, they say we all, we all have one or two or five love languages that are particularly, for some it's touch, physical affection, for some it's gifts, for some it's quality time, uh, for some it's acts of worship, and for some it's words of affirmation. Well, do you know when I first read that, I was like, you know, petrified. I thought, oh no, what's wrong with me? None of these are mine. I don't have any of these. I have a sixth love language that isn't in the book. My love language is food. <laughs> Tell me you love me. It means nothing to me. Go stick your love somewhere. Buy me a chicken shish kebab and I'm yours for life. <laughs> Did you know that God has a love language? His love language is obedience. That's his love language. And the reason I know it is because he said so. If you love me, you will obey my commands, says Jesus in John 15. He also says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, you know what? He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, like some insecure boyfriend or girlfriend. If you really love me. No, it's not like that. It's like, this is how you... This is how, because obedience is an act of faith, it's an act of trust, and it's an act of devotion. It's his love language. Now, I, you know what? In, I've noticed, you know, people talk about how some people are anointed. And what I've noticed, can I tell you, I've noticed as I come into land that sometimes the most anointed people happen to be the most obedient. I have a friend called J. John, and... He's a fellow Greek. He's one of my best friends. He lives not far from me. And he's an evangelist. And um, when he preaches the gospel, loads of people become Christians. And the honest truth is, a lot more people become Christians when he preaches the gospel than when I preach the gospel. And that annoys the hell out of me. It really does. And, you know, and I'll ask the Lord, why? Why? And, you know, I've heard his talks. They're all right but so am I. And in fact, we share talks. He writes them, and I like to think I improve on them. And it's like, I kept asking, why Why do more people become Christians when he preaches? Oh, it's not fair. And then I found, I, it clicked with me one day what the answer was. It was uh, my days off on Monday, and one Monday morning, John phoned me, and I was tired after Sunday, and, and, and he said, I'm going to take you out for lunch. And there's principles by which I live my life. And one of them is I never refuse lunch. So I said, okay. And he came by in his car. And we went to this restaurant in Amersham, near where I lived. And, and we went in. And I was, I was tired. It was my day off. And I was hungry. And we sat down. And the waitress came. And I, was, I couldn't wait to eat. I mean, I hadn't eaten anything since about 11 a.m. And it was just like, and she came with the menus. And John said, hello. How are you? And, and I thought, you're not, are you? And then he said, uh, how long have you been working here? And she said, and he said, what would you like to do with your life? And I thought, oh, no, you are, you are. It's my day off, and I want my lunch. And then, he, and then she told him, and then he said, would you like to know what I do? And I was like, oh, no. And she, she said, yes. And he said, I'm an evangelist. Do you want me to tell you what an evangelist is? At this stage, I was ready to go under the table. And I, I came that close to shouting at him, shut up, let her go to hell, I want my lunch. 
And that is why J. John is anointed evangelist and I'm not. Because he tells people about Jesus before lunch on his day off. The anointing rides on obedience. It rides on obedience. If you want to be more anointed, obey more. It'll come. It will come. Now, how does this work? I'm just going to finish by just telling a couple of stories. We're nearly there, I promise. I have a feeling I've been going on forever. Uh, yes, I have. Okay. Um, just, uh, just, well, you invited me. Um, just, just to finish, how it's the last few years, I've been on the adventure of my life. And, you know, this whole thing about closing Soul Survivor, it's, it's just another example, you know. I, I just, I don't care how, I don't care anymore how any of it looks. You know, I just, I just want to see Jesus meet with people. And one of the things he challenged me is he said, are you going to obey me? If I tell you something, will you do it? And I was like, well, I think I do. And he said, no, you don't. You only obey me when it's safe, when you put it through the grid of does this make sense? And so I've been on this adventure, and it's absolutely crazy. And it's the stuff that I never thought. I, I love it, and it scares me, and a lot of the time I feel like I'm drowning. There was a, a time, uh, uh, two or three years ago, I can't remember, when um, uh, our festival, the night before, about 200 uh, young people came forward and gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. And we were rejoicing that 200 became Christians. And then the next night, I was due to speak. And at the end of the worship, I got up and I was just going to start speaking. When I just felt the Lord say to me, and when I say when I felt the Lord say to me, you know, it's not hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike, are you receiving me, tablet of stone, on its way down, duck. It was like, I just had the thought that it was like, oh, I just had a thought. That's a funny thought. Why would I think that thought? Could that be you, Lord, or is it indigestion? And I don't know. And in my case, fairly often, it's indigestion. But the only way you find out is by saying it. And so I decided, rather than not say it in case it's not God, I will say it in case it might be God. Because just in case, it, if it isn't, nobody dies. No one has yet. I just look a bit foolish. But if it's him, someone's life can get changed. And that's how it works. So basically, I, I just felt the Lord say to me, there's someone here who doesn't know me, and uh, this morning he said to his friend, if they make an invitation for people to come forward tonight, I think I might come forward. And then I felt the Lord say to me, and his name is Sam. And I was like, okay, after my talk, before we pray for whatever we're going to pray for, I might say, if you didn't become a Christian last night and you feel ready now, if there's anyone, come forward. And by the way, there might be someone here called Sam. You said to your friend this morning, da-da-da. And then the Lord said, no, I want you to do it now. And I was like, come off it, Lord. That's not, not, not a good idea. And I started arguing with him. And it was like, number one, there's 8,000 people here. Um, uh, you know, what if there isn't a Sam? What if I've got it wrong and there's no Sam that said to his friend this morning? I mean, how am I going to transition? You know, oh, sorry, guys, let's do the talk now. No one will want to listen to me. What if there is a Sam and as a non-Christian, he doesn't actually want to come forward in front of eight? Have you, have you thought of that, Lord? No, you haven't. And in the end, he just kept saying, I thought we made an agreement. 
I thought you would obey when you don't understand. I thought you would obey when it doesn't make sense. And I couldn't not. So I said, I'm sorry, but I think there's someone here. You said to your friend, if they make an invitation, da, da, da. Your name is Sam. Well, we're making the invitation now. We're going to wait for you. Come, why don't you come forward now? And then it felt like an eternity. I died inside. Immediately I regretted it. I started sinking. I started drowning. I had 8,000 pairs of eyes staring at me. And I didn't know what to do. I'd love to tell you I was God's man of faith and power. And it was, I know who Sam is. And if you don't come, I'll come and get you. But I didn't know who Sam was. I was convinced that I got it wrong. And then after ages, this kid got up. And everyone around started clapping. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. And then he walked ten paces and sat down next to a girl he obviously fancied. And I wanted to kill him. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, get me out of this. I don't know how to, what do I do? And then, it seemed like ages, this kid got up from the back. He walked around. He walked up the aisle. And he stopped there. And when he got close, I saw he was shaking. <coughs> and I said, are you Sam? He said, yes. I said, did you say that to your friend this morning? He said, yes. I said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? He said, yes. And in front of 8,000 people, we led him in a prayer where he gave his life to Jesus. And then I watched as he went back, his friend ran up to him and the two of them were hugging and crying together. But you know, my thing was, Lord, why, why did we have to do it like that? Why does it have to be so theatrical? Why couldn't it wait at the end? Why did you do that to me? You know I have a heart condition. <laughs> and you know what? Seriously, the Lord answered me. When Sam said amen, spontaneously, 8,000 young people stood and clapped and cheered the Lord and Sam. They raised the roof and the Lord said to me, that's why. Because you were rejoicing that last night 200 gave their lives to me. Well, I wanted to show you all. I will stop a whole meeting for one Sam. For one Sam. That is a lesson we, none of us will ever forget. That's how it works. One more. And this one's just crazy. This one's just crazy. Um, it was our, 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 our camp for young adults for 20s and early 30s. And again, I was about to, I was about to, um, uh, well, we were leading the ministry. And the Lord said to me, there's someone here who's having an affair with a pastor in their church. And I was like, no way. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And I said to the Lord, I said, number one, it goes against our values. We don't give negative words. Can you believe it? I said to the Lord, I wasn't going to obey him because it goes against my values. How I'm still alive, I do not know. And, and then I said, and anyway, how, how am I supposed to say that? You know, there's someone here, you're having an affair with a pastor in your church. Would you like to come forward now? So I tried to overrule him. And the Lord said to me, the Lord said to me, Mike, it's not my judgment it's my mercy it's my mercy and for a moment he opened a window in my heart I don't know how to describe it 
I just felt his compassion for this person. I thought, I can't. I said, forgive me if this is wrong, but I think the Lord's saying there's someone here. You're having an affair with a pastor in your church, and it's his mercy, not his judgment. He wants to rescue you. And if that's you, any time during this meeting, my friend Ali will be standing by the side of the stage. Just go and say to her, or come at the end, or go to the chat room afterwards and tell someone. At the end of the meeting, this young lady came to Ali in floods of tears, 19 years old. She said she was having an affair with the youth pastor in their church who was married with three kids. And she said, I feel so ashamed. I haven't been able to tell anyone. And I kept saying to him, I want this to end. But he he kept saying, you can't end it. This is so right. You can't do this to me. And she said, I felt so ashamed. I haven't known what to do. And I nearly didn't come to this event. And then she said this, and it killed me when I found out. She said, as I was driving here, I said to God in the car, I said, if you want me out of this relationship, you're going to have to tell someone on the stage about me because I'm too ashamed to tell anyone. My friends Richard and Prue met with her, talked and prayed with her for the next three days. She was out of that. She was set free. I came that close to not saying it. That close to bottling it. It's, and I, I felt I was drowning. I felt I was drowning. But you know what? He held my flipping hand. He held my hand. And I had such a moment of intimacy. And I saw a miracle. And someone's life was changed. This is the very last story, very quickly. I mean, because I love this. There was, there was uh, uh, I think it was last year, I think it was last year. Um, uh, um, it was in the middle of the, uh, uh, the meeting. And I just felt the Lord say to me, there's someone here, doesn't know me. He's been mocking me and mocking what's going on. His friends invited him and he's been teasing them about what's been going on and laughing at them. But he's just prayed to me and he's just, and he's just said, God, if this is real and you are real, could you show me? And then I just felt the Lord saying, and his name is Brian. And so I said, I think there's someone here. You've been mocking and teasing your friends and they brought you and you've been laughing everything, but you just prayed just now. And you said, God, if you're real, if this is real, then show me. And your name is Brian. Where are you, Brian? Immediately, this kid came forward, sobbing, 15 years old. His friends were crying as well. They prayed for him. He gave his life to Jesus. And you know the best bit? And I finish with this, I promise. The next day, they were all telling me, he was wandering around the campsite and he was going up to strangers and he was saying, he knows my name. He knows my name. What a way to come to Jesus. He knows my name. And every single one of those, I felt I was drowning. I've made an agreement. I'm going to obey you. Even if I drown, even if it's a failure, I'm going to do what I think you're saying. And you know what? Every single time, you know, it's not God's power that impresses me. It's his kindness. It's his love. I could could spend the whole night telling you stories. I mean, story after story. And each one, 
kills me because this is the happiest time of my life. My body's falling apart. I've got every, I'm I'm, I'm a walking chemist, but I've never been happier because I see, I see, Jesus, how did you do that? And I want to encourage you, go for it with all your heart because he wants to do this stuff through ordinary people like you and me. You see, he didn't go to the top rabbi universities and pick the best of the best. He went to the Sea of Galilee and picked Pete and Andy and Jamie and John Boy and all the other morons just like you and just like me. And he loved them and he used them and they changed the world. And he wants to use you because God's power is made perfect in weakness. When I am weak, says Paul, then I am strong. Okay, I've landed. We're at the gate. We're not taking off again. I have no idea what the Lord wants to do now. It's scarily exciting and wonderful. So we're just going to wait for him. And Father, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, Father. We love you. And we long to meet with you. Jesus, walk among us. The great I am. You are the great I am. We wait for you now. Holy Spirit.